0: It's December fourteenth at one o four p.m. Good afternoon, everybody. This is another edition of the Thoroughbred Daily News Writers Room podcast. I'm your host, Bill Finley, and I'm a correspondent with Thoroughbred Daily News.
1: My name is Randy Moss with NBC Sports. It was actually Zoe's idea for the two of us to get a little uh, <laughs> a little festive as Bill as Bill reacts to that one there. Um, an ugly Christmas sweater was the request. Zoe and Bill, I, I live in Minnesota. I don't have a single sweater to my name. I'm a sweatshirts and jeans kind of guy, but I borrowed this from my 20-year-old daughter, Hallie, who is away in college and doesn't know I'm wearing it, so I hope uh, I hope this will suffice, Zoe.
2: It will suffice indeed. Thank you very much. I'm Zoe Catman for First Racing and XBTV, and there is my full expose, guys. I'll probably I've been told i have to cover it up in just a minute while we get the proceedings going but uh delighted to be here and you know we've got our resident scrooge in the house because bill bill doesn't have an ugly christmas sweater so i i just don't
0: i just don't own one i'm sorry i mean you know and, and chalk that up to good taste by the way um but randy well done that's really ugly that's awful so, and, and <laughs> so we, you know well, i don't I'm even know like where I I go to go <laughs> I want to remind you that the TDN Writers Room uh, Podcast is brought to you each week by Keeneland. We appreciate their support. Well, guys, let's get back into the mud. Uh, Jason Service, um, the the story had another chapter where he pled guilty in a federal courtroom uh, last week. It looks like he's going to get four years in prison. Uh, somewhere around that neighborhood, he pled guilty to one felony count and one misdemeanor. Felony count is the same one they've been getting everybody on this called a misbranding and drug adulteration. Um, so he pled guilty to that. Uh, you know, is four years enough? I don't think 400 years is enough for, for what these guys did. But uh, I was a little bit surprised he didn't get more because, first of all, Navarro, Jorge Navarro, got five years. And secondly, service was hit with a charge uh, that Navarro wasn't, and a very serious one, conspiracy to commit uh, mail fraud and wire fraud, which carried a 20-year sentence. So he was facing potentially 25 years. Uh, I'm surprised they let him off the hook for only four. Uh, he will be on his way to prison sometime next year. Uh, his sentencing is on um, the day of the Preakness, believe it or not. No, no, the, the Preakness week, believe it or not, will be his sentencing. But um, I was a little bit disappointed that he, I think he kind of got off easy, Randy.
1: Well, the same judge, uh, the US Attorney for the Southern District of New York, Mary Kay Viscosil, who sentenced Jorge Navarro will be sentencing Jason Service. And at the, at the moment she gave Navarro his five years, she commented that she would have preferred to give him more, but it was all that the law allowed. I don't know exactly what that means. And I can only surmise that be, perhaps because Navarro was much more brazen in his in his flouting of the rules, he almost seemed to embrace uh, the moniker Juice Man. I mean, he had shoes. He had a pair of Crocs that had Juice Man emblazoned on him. And he was caught on wiretap, uh, you know, very actively encouraging other trainers to uh, – to do as he had done whereas Jason service even though his horses were more high profile for the most part was more of a uh more of a quiet abuser of the rules i guess you can say so that might be one possible explanation i think the primary reason the service changed his plea from not guilty to guilty was that the wiretap evidence uh was authorized to be used in any trial against him supposedly according to the legal experts it's extremely tough to beat the u.s attorney's office anywhere especially the southern district of new york damian williams is the u.s attorney for the southern district and those people are very hardcore when they set their sights on an offender if you want to know exactly how hardcore if you're a fan at all of the tv program billions you're familiar with chuck rhodes played capably by paul giamatti chuck rhodes in the in the tv series billions was the U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York. And we all know how hardcore Chuck Rhodes was. So I I think that's a possible explanation uh, for why service may be facing uh, a four-year sentence instead of Jason Navarro's five.
2: Yeah, and to echo basically what Randy said there, um, Navarro was the bad guy, got blood on his hands. We know that XYJ, no one's really quite sure how he died, but he was one of the high-profile horses that was doped and did, in fact, die. Nobody really knows how. And then Jason Service, the elder statesman, the quieter guy, had five stones, not caught him had they not had a wiretap. A lot of people probably wouldn't believe because he was a nice guy, a nice trainer, that he was capable of any of that stuff. So he gets four years, the maximum that was allowed. And four years is a long time behind bars and he's not a young guy. And he basically got what he deserved. Um, He really did. And for me, I'm delighted to see these two guys go down. It's just a shame that we won't have Five Stones investigating more people. I mean, hopefully we don't have more people that come to light that need investigating, but this is exactly how these guys were caught.
0: Mm-hmm. So I'll disagree with you on on one thing. I, I know, you know, service wasn't as, and, and as Randy said, the other guy, Navarro, sort of embraced this. I mean, the juice man, Crocs, he deserved five years in prison just for those. Um, but uh, leading up to this, if you would have asked me, who are the two most prolific cheats in horse racing? I would have told you, Jorge Navarro, Jason service uh, I mean even though he was more you know quiet and humble than Navarro I mean especially here in the East Coast uh everybody kind of just assumed that he was up to no good but now that up to no good is going to lead uh him to prison and he, he's right he's not a young guy he's 65 years old so by the time that he does go to prison it'll be made by uh 66 so he's looking at spending it in prison until he's into his early 70s and we'll find out about that but so now there's um, You know, other stories to come from this and the Saudi Cup now, uh, which has been in limbo since maximum security won it way back in 2020, uh, is still in limbo. And here's the the background on this. The the race was uh, the indictments came out only nine days after the Saudi Cup was run. So they had not paid out the purse money yet. And they said as soon as this indictment came out, they said, hey, wait a minute. We may not pay maximum security because of these allegations against Jason Service. Now, uh, all this time later, they still have not paid the money, and they had said that they're going to wait to see how this uh, comes out in the courts. I had expected that with uh, Service pleading guilty, it was on a Friday, was it not? But by that Monday, we would have a statement from the Saudi Cup saying that they had taken down uh, maximum security because of the allegations against Service. And Midnight Bisu was officially declared the winner. Um, they put out a statement instead saying, we're going to keep looking into this. I don't quite get what, what more do they hope to find? They, they don't have any information that's not available, hasn't been made available through the court case. If, if service was a uh, drug cheat and they were not going to give the money to a drug cheat, why would they even bother to keep looking into it? I don't know. I do think eventually this money will be taken away from owners Gary and Mary West, he will be disqualified and midnight Bizu will be declared the winner that's a big hit it's a 10 million dollar purse to the winner
1: yeah maximum security had career earnings uh of 12.4 million dollars even though that 10 million hadn't been actually paid out to gary and mary west now that'll drop we assume to 2.4 million midnight bisu will go from the 3.5 million runner-up share that she had up to the 10 million dollar winner share which will elevate her career earnings to 13.9 million dollars that's only a little less than a hundred thousand dollars shy of enable as the all-time leading money-winning female to ever compete in a race in North America um yeah I mean it's a nice Christmas present if it happens before Christmas for Jeffrey Bloom Saul Kuman, and Chuck and Lori Allen who were the owners of Midnight Bisou she's now been sold she's now owned by Japan Japan interest as a brute mare, but uh, it's just a matter of time. It, it-
2: Probably between a rock and a hard place because he didn't physically test positive for any substance. So could, could someone... I know the West said they'll go along with whatever happens, but could something happen to where they don't have to give up the purse? Because he well, passed the tackle- test that was given to him.
0: Right, let me I- tackle I- that, I Zoe. Um,
2: first of it. all,
0: I... I don't think they should take as much as i'm you know an anti uh you know all the drug and everything i don't think they should take the purse away from him for the very reasons that you just said he was they conducted drug tests uh, certainly post-race i believe they did pre-race as well and just like in the united states he never tested positive none Jason service horses ever did test positive so if this were the um, pegasus world cup instead of the saudi cup or this was the breeders Cup Classic to the Saudi Cup, there'd be no grounds whatsoever to disqualify him. But this is a different country with a very different legal system than we have. They play by their own rules. They can do whatever they want. Um, they can say he didn't test positive, but you know we're not stupid. The guy's on wiretap saying he drugged everything in his barn um, and that's good enough for us. We're going to take the money away from him. Now, even though the West have said they're not going to contest this, and good for them. Even if you wanted to contest this, what would you do? I mean, I you know I'm no expert on Saudi judicial systems, but I, I think what what they say goes, and there's no recourse for people. You know, what would they do? They'd sue him in Saudi Arabian court. They, they can't do that. So again, I'll, I'll say this: I, I don't think they should take the money away from him just for the reasons you said. But you know, you're not dealing with the United States. You're not dealing with our judicial system. You're not dealing with our laws. You're not dealing with our racing regulations. They can do whatever they want.
1: Yeah, maybe they'll send it up to MBS and let him uh, and let him try to try to make the ultimate decision. I, I think what it's going to come down to is this: it not only uh, as Gary and Mary West said, they won't contest it; uh, they've actually endorsed the idea of taking the purse money away from maximum security. Gary West, we believe the decision to take the Saudi Cup purse from maximum security and redistribute it is the correct one. So that might uh, that might take a little of the heat off of the uh, off of the Saudi people that are trying to make that decision.
0: It'll be interesting. Yeah, we'll say stay tuned to that. I think eventually he will um, lose the money. So now um, the basically everybody who was originally indicted in this has been dealt with now, and the Southern District, uh, the federal government is pitching a perfect game. We got everybody. Nobody has been exonerated or got off on this. Um, you know the, the sentences vary from very short. To longer sentences, etc., but we're almost three years into uh, this breaking. It broke in March of 2020, so we're what—that's uh, about four months shy of three years. And you know, it was a watershed moment in horse racing. And you know, one of the things that I wrote at the time, and a lot of people said, was let's turn this into a positive because let's take this as a the um, the blow we needed, the the warning shot to get our act together and do a better job and clean up the sport. And I'm wondering all these years later, what has happened? And, you know, it's a little bit complicated a little bit difficult to answer that question because we don't know what's happening with Haiza and we'll get into that a little bit later. But I would say this, if Haiza goes by the wayside, which is very possible, we're right back to where we started. State racing commissions handling this, relying primarily on drug tests, which never catch anybody Other than people using overages of therapeutic medications, which is really such a minor deal. I would say, unfortunately, some three years later or two years and eight months or whatever it is, we're we're just right at where we started from, right back where we started from.
2: I don't think so because we've caught two of the biggest cheaters in the game. So that's two guys off the table and they went to jail and they were caught squarely and fairly. So I think we have definitely taken a step forward. In this, I really do. Zoe, my
0: my point would be though you're absolutely right about that, but you know, short of the FBI launching a second investigation, which I think is very unlikely Mm -hmm. at this point, how are we going to catch the next bad guy?
2: I I don't know. We've got to figure that out, and that yeah, that's my point.
1: I mean, the only reason that Jason Service and Jorge Navarro and everyone else that was involved in that sting effort were caught in the first place was the involvement of the Jockey Club. As as you pointed out, Bill, the state racing commissions didn't have the, the funding to launch investigations or the desire, the wherewithal to do it. And the Jockey Club stepped in and ultimately uh, enlisted the Five Stones investigative group that were the ones... Um, who took down all those people absent that absent something else like that happening again, then I think thoroughbred racing is going to be back to the beta methazone positives and the lanocaine positives and the 21 picograms and everything else that seems to make the headlines nowadays. When the, the real cheaters out there, uh, however, however many of them like Navarro and service there still are, uh, go unpunished. Uh, I think that's one of the reasons why people were looking forward so much to the implementation of HISA was the uh, investigative aspect of what HISA might have and hopefully maybe still will bring to the table. But without that, um, I think it's the sport is looking pretty impotent to try to catch uh,
0: some of these guys. Yeah, that, that would be my point. I mean, you know, how, how have we progressed? But uh, hopefully things will work out with Haiza. And, and we'll, again, we'll talk about that after a couple of uh, messages from our sponsors. But, um, you know, a, a, a sorry chapter in thoroughbred horse racing. And uh, we move on into the future. And let's hope the future is better than the past.
2: The TDN Rises Room is brought to you by Keeland. Keelan recently supplemented 69 horses to their January Horses of All Ages sale, including Seasons, one of my personal favorites. She's a four-year-old grade one filly by Tappet, offered as a, ro- a broodmare or racing prospect. Quick, a grade three winner carrying her first fall by Medaglia Doro. Bold connection, a two-year-old stakes place daughter of Uncle Mo, who is a half-sister to grade one winner Sweet Loretta, offered as a broodmare or racing prospect. And also Bold Connection, a two-year-old stakes place daughter of Uncle Mo, who is a half-sister to grade one winner Sweet Loretta, offered as a broodmare or racing prospect. The Keeneland January sale will cover four sessions from January the 9th through the 12th, and now features a total, listen to this, guys, of 1,578 horses. Hand warmers are free, by the way. We'll be right back from these messages from Keeneland. If this place could talk, it would roar, it would say, this is racing, this beating heart in the heart of horse country, steady and strong beneath the roar, reminding us why,
3: for the love of the horse,
2: for generations to come. Spites
4: Town. Town. Munning. Echo Town.
1: It's Echo Town for Joe Talamo, and Echo Town breaks the way. And Echo Town is drawing away in the stretch. Echo Town wins the Turk and Stakes. A sire line so prolific, it repeats itself. Echo
2: Town. The TDN Writer's Room is brought to you by Coolmore. It was a big weekend for Ashford's Justify, who was in the running for top first crop sire of 2022. He had a pair of winners on American soil on Sunday with Don Alberto's homebred, Alpha Bella, who survived a steward's inquiry to break a maiden at Goldstream Park. And right after that, Prove Right won allowance optional claimer at Laurel. Justify is the sire of 28 winners this year alone, and his progeny brought in six wins in the last 15 days. Randy, are you surprised that Justify is in the running for leading first crop sire?
1: Uh, Not at all, Zoe. Big, beautiful, exceptionally well bred, speed. And not only does he have a great pedigree, he's a son of scat daddy. So you would think there would be quite a bit of turf influence there. So you could have some versatility for sons and daughters of Justify. It's going to be exciting to watch them run.
2: And let's not forget that Justify was in training as a two-year-old, but a slight injury just set him apart. He probably was online to be a top-class two-year-old in his own right.
0: Well, the other news of the week, the other big story of the week was that we had a decision from the Federal Trade Commission, which is the body that oversees horse racing integrity and safety authority. And we were getting close to January 1. And despite all the lawsuits that are going back and forth and the losses that Haiza has taken in court, they were ready to begin the anti-doping medication control program on January 1. Uh, the Federal Trade Commission came out this week and said, put, put the red light out. It says, Let's not do that now. Let's not do this on January 1. They, they said that there's a need for uniformity. That's what this was all about. And without the uniformity in the rules, because different states would have different rules and different court decisions would affect different states, they didn't think that it was the time to go forward with this. Um, even though I'm a a fan, this was the right decision to make. I mean, this thing is so messed up at this point. Um, There was no, you couldn't go forward with it and and nobody, you know, as each day goes by, something else comes out and I'm trying to follow this story and I don't know what's going on half the time. It's so confusing. So that was, it was another blow for Haiza, but it was the right thing to do. And uh, so again, as we talked about uh, in segment one, we're right back to where we were, uh, you know, for all these You know, the years uh, prior to Haiza coming to be, where everything again is going to be handled by the state racing commissions. Um, An unfortunate decision, but the right one, Randy.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And credit to the FTC for actually taking the time to do this before January the 1st, because this is way down on the FTC's list of priorities right now. Right now, the FTC's in the headlines for trying to put the kibosh on Microsoft's proposed 75 billion dollar purchase of Activision so that's what they've been focused on this is probably just an annoyance to them but I I completely agree with you that it had to be done I mean if, if a trainer was suspended for a drug violation or a jockey was suspended for a whip violation under the jurisdiction of HISA how could that ever hope to stick in court when a judge is already you know, issued an opinion that heist is unconstitutional to begin with. So, this was the only thing that could be done, I think, uh, to lessen the chaos that this is all uh, this is all causing.
2: Otherwise, we're going to just be sitting here each week talking about lawsuit and un- over lawsuit, over lawsuit, and people suing and days. And are they going to have days? They're not going to have days. It would just be a complete joke. So at least we have that done January 1st, and we're going to go back to what we were doing before. And uh, it's we're going to play a wait and see game. It's as simple as that.
1: And maybe Mitch McConnell at yeah. all can uh, can go back to the drawing board and can figure out a way, if there is a way, to, uh, to make HISA fit under the constitutionality of uh, problems that it uh, that it apparently has right now, uh, vis-a-vis the FTC. And uh, maybe this thing can be uh, kick-started again, uh, jump-started again, uh, hopefully sooner rather than later.
0: Well, Randy, that's one of the, the ways that you might get HISA back on track after it's gone off the rails. But I'm pessimistic that that is going to work or anything's going to happen. And let you know, try to take a deep breath and review where we are. One court has already said it's unconstitutional. A second court is now dealing with the exact same case and the constitutionality of Haiza. And from what the legal experts say, uh, according to the judges that have been um, handed this case in that court, what is that? The I forget which is the fifth and which is the sixth. I think this is the sixth circuit that it, it's bound to, uh, most likely is going to be ruled unconstitutional in that circuit as well. And uh, going forward, I don't see, I think Heise is over. I I really do. I I think you can pull the plug on it. Now, you know, the the things they could do this end bank hearing where they take it back to the court and say they want the full, all the judges to rule on it rather than just a panel of three. I don't see any court accepting that. Um, I don't, especially if both circuits of the federal appeals court make the same ruling. I don't see the Supreme Court taking the case. And if they did, as conservative as the Supreme Court is, I see them also ruling against HISA. then it would be up to the politicians to try to figure this mess out and, and make it, as you were talking about, Randy, um, You know, put it in, in, in a way that it is um, it, it answers these constitutionality questions, which would be giving the FTC more authority. But just like you pointed out, I mean, really, you don't want the FTC to have more authority because you don't want bureaucrats and people worried about the things you've just mentioned um, with Microsoft and whatever, having to run horse racing. I, I mean, HISA, whether you like it or not, is run by people who that's all they do. They pay attention to horse racing, they become experts in horse racing, and they understand the issue. So, um, you know, uh, we're not getting HISA on January 1, and I don't think we're getting HISA on July 1 or January 1 of 2024 or anything else. I hope I'm wrong, but I'm extremely pessimistic.
1: Well, look, if HISA indeed goes away, then I think everyone in horse racing uh, should hold the various HBPA groups to to what they've been saying. They've been saying in their challenges of HISA, along with a lot of other racing states, but primarily the HBPA has been saying this, that we don't need HISA. We're already making progress on all these issues in thoroughbred racing, you know, through the Racing Commissioners International and through other avenues. We don't need federal involvement. We can handle this ourselves. Now, horsemen and horse racing groups have been saying that for decades. We know that, and, and nothing ever really happened. You know, there is a movement toward more uniformity uh, in medication rules from state to state, but that's not the only problem right now. And if the HBPA thinks that racing can solve its own problems, hey, have at it. But we're going to be watching to see if that indeed is what happens.
2: And to echo what Ed said when we had him on, A couple of weeks ago, I asked him the question what there was um, something where Heiser could be pushed back to the end of 2023. I said, Would that be a possibility to fix where you think Heiser is wrong and push it back? And he said, Absolutely, that's what we're trying to do. So I think the only good thing about all the problems that we've had with Heiser, it's got people talking, it's got people thinking. And hopefully we can get together and move this thing forward in some way, shape or form. And just remember, you, could, you can't you can keep all of the people happy all of the time. There are already going to be some people somewhere that are pissed off about this. But hopefully the majority is going to think it's a good thing moving forward. And the minority See, will be. upset the apple Car.
0: Right, but I'm skeptical about that. I mean, we've been doing things the same way for 150 years and you know, really we've never seen any progress. So, you know, what and that's why you should have worn have- your
2: sweater today. <laughs> so you be less skeptical and a bit more positive. You should have put uh, your ugly Christmas sweater on.
0: Well, Zoe, Christmas is coming. You know what to get me now, right?
2: I absolutely I'm gonna put it in the mail for you. <laughs> okay.
0: All right. So we will find out more about what's going forward with Hyza. But on January 1, uh, we are not moving forward with the uh, anti-doping medication control. And uh, we will be uh, back to the status quo. I don't think the status quo is good. That's one person's opinion.
1: We've given you reminders. We've given you more than one reminder. Well, here is your final reminder that nominations for the 2023 Pennsylvania Sired, Pennsylvania Bred, two-year-old Stallion Series, are open. The nomination fee right now is only $200 if you do it by December 31st. As we said last week, it goes up exponentially after that. So get those nominations in. The series will be expanded in 2023. Three separate legs of two-year-old Colt and two-year-old Philly races. For those of you who aren't good at math, that's six stakes races. In all with a $50,000 trainer bonus for the top three point earning horses. And oh, by the way, the 2023 Pennsylvania stallion and boarding farm directory is now live. Statistics, photos, backgrounds on all Pennsylvania stallions. Check it out at PABread.com. And we'll be right back after this message from the PHBA. Here in Pennsylvania, we're proud of our breeding program, the best in North America, but we're also proud to be leaders in this industry. The PA Horse Breeders Association is funding cutting-edge research at Penn Vet to detect gene doping in thoroughbreds. And we endorsed the SAFE Act to help protect the most vulnerable horses. Plus, we're pleased to support the aftercare programs set up by our horsemen's groups. Just a few of the reasons why you should join us in Pennsylvania, the premier place to breed and race. The Green Group Guest of the Week is sponsored, of course, by The Green Group, an accounting and tax consulting advisory firm specializing in the thoroughbred industry. Over 500 clients in the horse business they have with proven strategies to help save you taxes. Learn more about how they can help you at www.greenco.com.
0: Welcome in now, The Green Group Guest of the Week, the president of Oakland Park, Lewis Sella, with the meet underway. Great time to touch base with Lewis on what's going on in Hot Springs. And Lewis, since you took over, uh, one of the major changes is the longer meets. Uh, This year, you're going from December 9th to May 6th. So you start in early December. You're going past Arkansas Derby right up to the Kentucky Derby Day. Two-part question. How is that working out? And have you hit the sweet spot now? Or can we expect maybe further expansion somewhere
3: down the road? Well, it's a a work in progress. Uh, We don't know yet how just great this is. Uh, It is working. Uh, More importantly, our horsemen seem to love it. It fills in a gap. Uh, Equally important, uh, the city of Hot Springs and our community love it because it's a a lull time for us in Hot Springs. Um, Our staffing, we're still having staffing issues, uh, but assuming that will become normalized sometime in the near future, uh, certainly next year, uh, right now it seems to be working quite well. So Lou, as you probably already know,
1: I specialize in softball questions. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna tee you up here. I softball answers. <laughs> okay, this, this is one of the greatest softball questions of all time, right? I know for maybe going back 30 years, yeah. uh, Oakland pursued some sort of casino-style games. There were some swings and misses initially. Uh, now it's a it's a full blown casino. How important? is the addition of the casino wagering bin to oakland park
3: well uh it's 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 a softball question and here's a softball answer only in this regard uh racing today will not survive without it plain and simple uh if you do not have that alternative revenue source from whatever means racing will not survive You'll either do a little bit OK, or you're going to do a whole lot better. If you don't have it, you're going to close. Uh, so the importance to Oaklawn, starting with our, uh, if you really want to go back in time, starting with interstate simulcasting, uh, which had not been done before until uh, my father, Mr. Duchess Swaz of Arlington Park had a handshake to start that, then from instant racing, uh, to electronic uh, electronic games of skill, to what we have today, We's, we've always had that alter- alternative revenue source to help our purses increase and be maintained and be competitive. If you don't have that, you're not going to survive. So plain and simple. So uh, how important is vital?
2: And and tell me a little bit about what's new at Oakland this year because you've really invested into the hotel the past couple of years. Is there a new sports bar there and some new things? It's been a while since I was at Oaklawn. I mean, I would love to come back. Maybe I'll come with Randy for the Rebel, but it is one of my favorite places to race because people love the racing in Hot Springs, Arkansas. So what's new? What can we look forward to this meet?
3: Well, thank you. Uh, We always say we're not going to do much, and we end up doing a whole lot in the summer. Um, This summer is no different uh we moved our uh, racing office from downstairs up to the uh, paddock area we relocated the entire uh, uh state licensing office to the reserve seats office we've renovated the entire press box down to the stud so it's brand new uh in addition to all of that we did create a new sports bar uh and i should not diminish it by calling it a sports bar it's probably uh, the largest, most exciting sports bar in the region. And I'm talking about going down to Dallas and up to Chicago. Uh, it's about 12,000 square feet. Uh, we have uh, three uh, top golf simulators. We have axe throwing. We have shuffleboard. We have sports betting. We've got paranutual betting. Uh, and we have an entire uh, menu with food and beverage and sit down dining. And that's in the middle of the grandstand. Uh, the, and that's quite unique to racing today. And, and so we're very excited about that. Uh, in addition to all of those things, we, we always do things behind the scenes. Uh, we're always repairing and replacing and, and doing things that other tracks really don't do. For instance, uh, every year we pick up our track surface in its entirety. Uh, we bring it to the backstretch. We're able to then remix it. Uh, but more importantly, go to our base and analyze that and see where we are with that, and then remix it and put it back down on the track. Uh, It starts from May until October, and we need every single day to do that uh, before horses. So we're always moving and changing. Uh, But to your question, yes, we have a new sports bar called Mainline Sports. Uh, It's right in the middle of the grandstand. Uh, We've only had it open now for a weekend uh, but I think our fans love it, uh, and it's a very exciting. It's it's something fun for a, a modern racing. Uh, you have all this activity in, in a in a in an old racetrack, an old grandstand uh, with modern amenities, and that's what's kind of fun about it.
2: H- hold on, hold on. Axe throwing. You mentioned axe throwing. Can, <laughs> can you elaborate on the axe throwing part of this? Because I am super intrigued.
3: Well, as Randy knows, our council Skip Ebel's really not happy with us. (laughs) Uh, But it is axe throwing. Uh, You you sign about 38 pages of waivers. uh, But then we give you an axe. And uh, it's a real thing. I mean, believe it or not, it's a real thing. Uh, We we, it's like think darts, but with axes.
2: Wow. Okay. Answer my question. (laughs) <laughs>
0: Lewis, if you don't mind, I'm going to pass on the action. Yeah, right. But I do have a, picking up on what Randy asked you about the importance of the casino, um, you know, but Oakland is one of uh, several dozen tracks in the country that has a casino and and derives very needed revenue from it. But unfortunately, in horse racing, most of the those other tracks, it's clear where their number one emphasis is. It's casino and horse racing is is second and maybe not even a close second. But Oakland, it seems different that horse racing really does still matter very much that it comes first. Could you, uh, first of all, just explain Oakland's philosophy vis-a-vis the marriage of sports, excuse me, not sports, but you have that too as well, but the casino and horse racing and how you've made it work to get these astronomical uh, purses yet still emphasize horse racing uh, to a point where it's obviously very important to the Sella
3: family. Well, we, uh, first off, I think what you just said is most important at all It's to sell a family um we do have a focus and a multi-generational focus on the sport of horse racing uh, that's been embedded in our family <coughs> me. at the last uh, turn of the last century in the late 1800s 1900s legal bookmaking was important uh, so when you think about that we've always been involved with horse racing uh, going from state to state in permitting that uh, fast forward to today We truly have the best uh, racing gaming model, we think, in America. Uh, We follow it quite closely. We talk to our horsemen. Uh, The bottom line is we get along with our horsemen. Most jurisdictions can't say that. Uh, We get along with our racing commission, our regulators. So many states cannot say that. Uh, If we have issues, we get in the room, we solve the issues. Most jurisdictions cannot do that. And it's not just because they don't see eye to eye, they're handcuffed. They have restrictions that we don't have. And we acknowledge that. And our success, frankly, is because we are able to be flexible and frankly, to sit in with our uh, Arkansas HBPA and solve those problems. And then together go to the racing commission and say, look, we've solved the problem. Let's move forward because it's all about racing. Um, there's plenty of money to go around for everyone. Uh, we put, uh, uh, it, it's, it's amazing, at the end of the day, when you look at all the money, we, we average, average about $12 million that we put back into the plant every year. No track does that. If you're a corporate-owned track, you're certainly not going to do that. Uh, and we do that every single year. And, P- and the fans really don't see a lot of that. Uh, in addition to that, we take those monies, Uh, allocated a purse plus a little extra because we understand the importance of if you have a high purse structure, you're going to get the very best horses. If you get the best horses, guess what? You've got the best fans in the country that are going to show up to look at it. So, Lewis, when Oakland
1: really, really took off nationally to become a nationally prominent racetrack, early 1970s I guess it coincided uh with your late father Charles taking over the reins at Oakland uh and obviously you know Charles was widely celebrated for his contributions to thoroughbred racing his managerial style seems to me to have been very conservative uh, tradition based uh very careful to change let's walk before we run so far, looking at it from a distance, it seems to me like your style since you've taken over has been characterized by bold moves, aggressive moves, the hotel, the, the expansion in racing dates, all the, the, the huge improvements suddenly to the grandstand. What, what's your philosophy in that regard?
3: Well, I think, uh, first off, you're correct. Dad was conservative, he was more traditional, and I think the era of racing in the 70s when he first started in the 80s required that. Uh, You did not need someone to really push the envelope uh, on so many things that we're able to do today. Uh, Today, I am very uh, 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 um, proactive in some of the things that we can do because I think the era requires it. If we continue to retrench, as my father did in the 70s and 80s, just offer a great product of horse racing uh, and not these other things, I don't think our future would be very bright. Uh, Whereas if we're given the tools like we do have with casino uh, wagering, uh, when we're given the tools to offer with instant racing or EGS and where we are today to actually create a resort, and that's what I've done, is to create a full-time resort where you don't have to leave the property Uh, that in our view is how modern racing is going to survive you. There's so many fans, patrons out there that we're trying to sell horse racing, but you got to get them in the door. You got to give them ax throwing (laughs) to get them in the door and then say, you know what? Look on the other side of that wall, because it's something really cool going on called horse racing. We believe in the sport and we did it with instant racing. Uh, we've always pushed it. We've always pushed horse racing, but we, it's so much more than just horse racing at the track and the track experience. It's all of those things, and we're very fortunate to be able to have the tools to do that. What else might you be looking at? What, what, what else could be on the
1: uh, the wish list that, that you're thinking? Well, I, I know I
3: get, I get asked all the time, when are you going to put in a turf course? Uh, we are not going to put in a turf course. Um, the time of year we run, you know, call it December to April to May, uh, we might have the month of April where we have uh, uh, some nice turf uh, uh, to run on. It's just not conductive for us. And quite honestly, and, and we see this in racing, unfortunately, too much. We're partners in racing. We have colleagues in racing. We're in the same sandbox. We don't want to upset the Churchills or the Keenelands Uh, they have their meat, their boutique meat. They have their programs. We don't want to compete with that. We have a a good thing going when our horses uh, and horsemen come to Oakland. Then they go to Churchill. Then they go to Keelan. Then they go to Saratoga. We're not going to interfere with that because it's a good thing for horsemen to have the circuit. It's good for our patrons to have the circuit, to see those horses go from jurisdiction to jurisdiction to jurisdiction. That's what it's all about, and, and we believe in that. And we believe in seasonality. Uh, Though we've expanded from uh, late April, pardon me, January to late April, uh, to now December to May, the number of days is still 68 versus 57. Uh, We we raised 68, I think it was in uh, 85, 86, 1985, 1986, somewhere around there. Um, And so we, we haven't really expanded the days so much as the scheduling has been a little changed. But we're not. We 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 know we know where our focus is. We know what our lane is. Uh, it's really good racing and a fun and t- entertainment uh, facility resort. Uh, a great town in Hot Springs uh, from December to May. Let's we're just going to stay there.
2: Lewis, what has it meant over the years to have perhaps some of the biggest names in horse racing come to Oaklawn Park? Because some of the biggest horses, at least in my lifetime, basically have been Zenyatta. And American pharaoh. And that's glaringly obvious when you walk in the front gates and you see that beautiful, beautiful statue of American pharaoh. What has that meant to Hot Springs, Arkansas, to have horses of that magnitude come to this this little bitty town that I'd never heard of until I went there? And I was like, what is this place? This place is amazing.
3: Well, it is, and it has some uh, uh, great... uh, um folks that are born and raised in hot springs and i won't even go down and name all those people uh that cut their teeth uh but uh what's fun about it is it's a testament to our focus on horse racing and and in particular three-year-old horse racing uh american pharaoh came uh we had smarty jones and frankly really kicked it off uh, with our 100th anniversary um in our fan uh, base our patron base very similar to Saratoga, New York, uh, Saratoga Springs. Um, they're, they're quite knowledgeable. Uh, they love the sport of horse racing. Uh, they love the quirkiness of the town. Uh, it, it truly is. It's fun to see and talk to the Wayne Lucases of the world uh, uh, who will come to Hot Springs. Everyone knows Wayne. Everyone knows the horses Wayne's training. Uh, he, he, he's the celebrity. Uh, and you go on to the Asmussons and the Coxes and the, uh, uh, the Ron Moquettes. Uh You go to the jockeys. They'll walk around town. People stop and, can I have your autograph? They know who they are. Uh, outside of Saratoga uh, and Hot Springs, I'm not so sure there are a whole lot of other uh, towns that understand the importance of those people. And, Louis, sort of touching on what you were just saying,
0: another thing that sets Oakland apart in this day and age, um, there's at, even at major racetracks outside of Saratoga, Del Mar, maybe Keeneland, and yourself, there's no on track business. Oaklawn, traditionally, the people just come through, roar through the turnstiles. You have very big crowds. Wh- what are you? What is the reason why the on track experience at Oakland is still so popular?
3: Well, because we don't uh, charge $12 for a beer. Uh, we just gave away six tons of corned beef, two sandwiches and a Coke for a dollar last Saturday. Uh, mm-hmm. To put that in perspective, we had uh, thunderstorms, rolling uh, electric blackouts all day Saturday. Yet we had close to 15,000 people giving away six tons of corned beef because that's their expectation. That's what they want to do. It's all a part, it's part of fun, it's part of the excitement of what we offer. Uh, We continually focus on affordability uh, and uh, the $2 better, uh, and more importantly, family. Uh, If you don't have your family and the kids to come there and enjoy and learn the sport of horse racing early, you got to cultivate that group or they're just going to be gone. It's so much fun to talk to everyone who who, who grew up or is associated with, with Oakland, They all have an an Oakland story when they were as a kid. They either had to sneak in because they they weren't 16 years old. Uh, They had to skip school because there was a party. Uh, They all had to get gussied up for the uh, Southwest or Rebel Stakes. They all have fun, fun stories about coming to Oakland because that's what we promote. We promote fun and entertainment. That's the name of our game. So, Lou, Throughout the history of horse racing, we've seen these
1: these major racing stables that are famous with the famous old silks and stuff, and and they're sort of not around anymore because the younger generation wasn't interested in carrying on the legacy, so they just vanished. Now, your family, the Sella family, has been involved with Oaklawn Park since it started back in 1904. I don't know if a lot of people realize, even in the late 1800s, you touched on it. Your family owned dozens of racetracks all around the country. What, what does it feel like, uh, as a member of the younger generation now, to be carrying on that legacy?
3: Well, uh, it, it's with great pride, um, and uh, it's it's fun when I go to other racetracks and uh, see patrons who might recognize me, and they'll say, oh, you're with Oklahoma. Gosh, we need to have Oakland down here. We wish we could do Oakland down here. And I always turn I said, you can. You know, you, you can do that. Uh, but you have to have a will to do that. Uh, it, it's an honor for me to be a, a fourth generation uh, guy at the helm, uh, To even though I wasn't around with my, my grandfather um, or his father. There are a lot of stories written. There's a lot of things to, to, to read about and to see the history of behind that, and I was fortunate enough uh, at an early age to be uh, just around uh, with dad uh, when you when you couldn't get in unless you were 14, and dad would say, here, come here, and kind of hide me under his tailcoat, and we'd go in, and I thought I actually was hiding from someone. Uh, that, that it's fun to be around that and, and, and to see where we've come, but it gives you a, a healthy uh, dose of what we need to do to change. Uh, that era when you had limitations on age when you came in, that's not gonna make it today. So you're gonna have to change. When you only had win, play, show, daily, double uh, in today's environment, that's not gonna change. So we're gonna have to have uh, the exotics come in. Dad hated the exotics, uh, but that's just the way of life that we had to do and to evolve. Uh, dad, with was his dad. They evolved, dad evolved a little bit re- re- reluctantly Uh, He was not a fan of instant racing. He was not a fan with EGS, but he understood the importance to horse racing with that. Uh, And then in my generation, moving forward, we understand the importance of giving a modern racing look for our younger patrons. Because if you don't, they're not going to show up. You've got to make it exciting for them to show up.
2: Lewis, you're full of new ideas, nine new stakes. Um, this weekend, um, this whole meet at Oaklawn, including some two-year-old stakes. What went into the thought to have two-year-old races at Oaklawn in December and then moving on to May?
3: Well, uh, interestingly, Oaklawn had two-year-old racing until we did away with it uh, probably in the early 70s um, because of the time of year we ran, it, it was not conducive to that. When we flipped the calendar into December, well, gosh, Uh, we now have two-year-old racing uh, and they're mature and it's the end of their two-year-old. So now we can really have fun with that racing schedule. We worked with our racing office and Pat Pope uh, to space the schedules. uh, So you could, if your two-year-old is ready to run, we have a stakes for you. Uh, If your three-year-old ready to run early, we have the Smarty Jones on January 1. uh, But if not quite ready, needs a little bit more time, guess what? We have the Southwest uh, and those are two are point races uh, in the end of the month. So it's fun to look at the calendar. It's fun to work with our racing office. And because we're in December, it gave us that whole new uh, uh, brand of racing called Two-Year-Old Racing at an appropriate time to have Two-Year-Old Racing.
2: Oh, could you just elaborate on your Stay Until May program that you have going on?
3: Yeah. Um, it started before, really, we we moved. We uh back in december um stay until may we started uh we started our season at the end of uh, january and we ended sort of three weeks before the kentucky derby uh frankly our weather in arkansas hot springs in particular it's great in april it's fantastic uh yet we tend to find ourselves closing mid-april so the, the genesis behind that is uh, our horses that are competitive in the Triple Crown—they're going to be gone anyway. Uh, so let's really uh, focus on uh, our horse population. Where are they going to go, and can we fill the races? And really, for our fans—and that's what it was about the stay until May was about our fans to truly enjoy Oaklawn as a resort, as an outdoor with our infield and in a beautiful uh, landscaped area. That was the genesis behind it. And then when we get into December, it's now a a nice little uh, bookend meet um, uh, that we're very excited about.
0: Well, we want to thank you very much, Luis Sella. Great information on Oakland. Keep up the good work. It's such a wonderful meet and seems to be getting bigger and better every year. Thanks for joining us here on the TDN Writers Room Podcast.
1: Thank you so much. That was the Green Group Guest of the Week, sponsored by the Green Group, a tax consulting and advisory firm specializing in the thoroughbred industry as this week's Guest of the Week, Oakland Parks' Luis Sella, who does have a small racing stable, will receive a free one-hour tax consultation. Learn more again at www.greencode.com. And we'll be right back after this message from the Green Group.
4: Why do the most successful owners, breeders, and horsemen select the Green Group as their tax advisor? We simply save them money and know how to make them more successful. Over the past 40 years, founder Leonard Green has owned and bred some of the best racehorses in the history of the sport. His in-depth, hands-on industry knowledge, combined with cutting-edge tax-saving strategies, has produced positive results for his clientele and has made the Green Group the top-rated accounting and tax firm in the business. For a confidential and complimentary consultation, contact us at 732-634-5100 or visit our website, at www.greenco.com. The Green Group, proven strategies to save you taxes.
2: The TDN Writers' Room is brought to you by XBTV. XBTV XBTV.com is your number one source for works all over the country. The work of the week this week is Spun Intended. Seen working here under Hall of Famer Mike Smith. Goes in 47 and change for Mark Glatt. He was a $100,000 Keeneland September graduate and spun intended really, really looks good. Coming down the lane, xptv.com, your source for all the works every day, all the time.
0: Well, it's obviously kind of a quiet time in horse racing after the Breeders' Cup and before we get into the big three-year-old races at Gulfstream, Santa Anita, Fairgrounds, Oakland, et cetera. There was a grade one over the weekend and the Starlet Stakes. And uh, boy, about the surest thing in horse racing right now is that Bob Baffert will win the two-year-old stakes races at Los Alamitos. We're going to talk about the Los Alamitos Futurity in a moment. But uh, he's won. Uh, he just dominates the Starlet Stakes. He's won it nine times. And six straight times now, and he got it done with the favorite FaZa in there. Um, she was a TDN rising star, a daughter of Gervin, After breaking her maiden very impressively, um, she was good. Uh, she got the job done, but she didn't certainly didn't take um, you know my breath away. She was it was kind of a hard fought win as a big favorite. And a matter of fact, um, the horse that ran second to her. Uh, which was uh, Pride of the Nile, stumbled badly at the start, and you can make a case, may have been best. But it's a deep crop of two-year-old fillies. Obviously, Bob Baffert uh, being able to handle this horse uh, is somebody she's, you're going to have to deal with come next year in the big preps for the Kentucky Oaks. But um, I think probably her fans were expecting a little bit more impressive performance.
1: Yeah, she got a buyer speed figure bill of uh, 77 that uh, it was only a mile on the 16th race of the day. It, it may be, in hindsight, uh, could be a little higher. It, it may or may not have to be adjusted going forward. But right now on paper, uh, that looks like a, a pretty representative number for, for the way those horses ran. Faisal looked good. You know, she was three wide around the turns, uh, stalking the pace up close. It looked like the kind of day where... Most jockeys, as is often the case of Los Alamitos, want to stay off the rail as much as possible. But I agree with you that the runner-up, Pride of the Nile, uh, arguably, was the best horse in there. Uh, It was the first time Pride of the Nile had ever run on on dirt, Uh, had originally been trained by Doug O'Neill, so during his suspension right now, his assistant, Leandro Mora, uh, put the saddle on Pride of the Nile. And she stumbled about as badly as a horse can stumble coming out of the starting gate and still keep the rider aboard, J.J. Hernandez in this case. Uh, Also raced on the inside around both turns. If you're a believer that the inside part of the track was not the best place to be at Los Al on Saturday, and certainly it didn't appear to be, then she also had that disadvantage and then squeezed through a narrow opening at the top of the stretch and created a little bit of havoc there. There was a steward's inquiry. Her number wasn't taken down. But after all that, Faiza beats Pride of the Nile only by a head. And it was a diminishing head, a hard-fought head. So good effort by Faiza, one to two favorite. Came through, Zoe. But uh, you can make a case that Faiza might not even have been the best horse on Saturday.
2: No question the best horse did not win the grade one Starlet. In my opinion, Pride of the Nile, and to echo what you said, Randy, how on earth JJ Hernandez did not fall off? I have no idea. She got left, she was taken out of her game. She traveled down the backside once she got her feet underneath herself. She traveled actually rather well. There was a lengthy stewards inquiry and I think she caused a problem, but she also took the brunt of it. She bumped into the horse having a meltdown, I do believe, that was right next to her and just completely knocked herself sideways and was still game enough to come back to fight off Fazer by a scant head. Terrific riding by both the jots Flavian Pratt, who won the race, and J.J. Hernandez, probably two of the leading riders we have here in Southern California, Bob Baffert winning his sixth Conte- consecutive starlet. Now, there was a great article in the Daily Racing Form by Steve Anderson simply yeah. saying that not really a good prep for the three-year-old season as the last five winners have struggled to win grade one races in their three-year-old season. And they are Dreamtree, Chasing Yesterday, Bast, Varda, and Ida. None of those fillies went on to do great things in their three-year-old year. And judging by the looks of it, maybe FaZe is going to be one of those as well. Now, you've got to give her a pass, first time going two turns. But history does have a habit of repeating itself with fillies that have run in the grade one starlet.
0: Couple of interesting races coming up in the days ahead for two-year-olds soon to be three-year-olds uh we'll talk about the los alamitos futurity in just a second but a race that is coming up pretty strong this year zoe tell us what you know about the springboard mile at remington park
2: well it's a great prep actually and it does involve points towards the kentucky derby 10 4 3 2 1 if i can count backwards that seems to be hard for me at the moment and i think we're going to see a very good horse of course uh, Brad Cox's horse rarely fly under the radar. It looks like Giant Mischief is going forward there now. He's a perfect two-for-two, two, a son of Inter Mischief. He beat Arabian Lion, who will be the likely favorite in the grade two LaSalle Alpha Echo again for Steve Asperson. Looks like that horse is going in there. And Randy, it's a full field of two-year-old Colts that a lot of those missed, uh, Midwestern trainers use time and time again. It seems to be a race that perhaps is forgotten about by most people other than the conditioners that kind of sneak their horses under the radar
1: Yeah, every year Zoe it seems like the springboard mile field gets a little bit better and a little bit better and the winners are a little bit more consequential when it comes time for these triple crown prep races in the spring a lot of these horses from the springboard mile wind up at Oaklawn Park some others will go down to the fairgrounds they'll usually stay in that part of the country but it's turned out to be a, a really nice race and this might be on paper uh, the best running that we've seen yet.
0: Yeah, it should be an interesting race. Okay, to so the Low South Futurity now a Grade Two. Bob Baffert has won it thirteen times. Just an amazing record in that. Now, keep in mind, please. Uh, um, one um, disclaimer, we are doing this segment before the entries are out. So if uh, we talk about somebody who is in the race and they're not, um, that's why uh, we apologize apologies for that. Matter of fact, trying to, uh, you know, reading the, the trade publications, not a whole lot of information about who is going to run in this. But first of all, Arabian Knight, who many people think is Baffert's best uh, two-year-old at this point after he broke his maiden at Keeneland during the uh, Breeders' Cup meet. Uh, is not in there, but Baffert has three that he's looking at running, Fort Bragg, Arabian Lion, and Carmel Road. Of the three, Arabian Lion, who's by Justify, who we were talking about what a great sire he's turned out to be for Coolmore so far, was second in the Keeneland Allowance race last time out, would likely be the favorite. Fort Bragg is coming off is a son of Tappet, broke his maiden last time out. Uh, Another horse in there is Practical Move, who was third in the Bob Hope. Well, um, I don't know who's going to win it. Other than to say, I guess Bob Baffert's going to win for the fourteenth time.
1: Well, Ravian Lion will probably be even money uh, by the time they uh, by the time they open the gates. I mean, this horse was three to five when he broke his maiden at Santa Anita, and he did it impressively with a ninety two buyer speed figure. Then he came back at Keeneland. Zoe pointed out that he was beaten at Keeneland narrowly by Giant Mischief, who's running in that Springboard Mile. Uh, Ravian Lion was three to five that day, and even though he lost, he got a ninety three buyer speed figure there and also giant mischief and Arabian lion in a 10 horse field at Keeneland finished 17 and a half lengths ahead of the third place finisher on paper these other horses Carmel Road another Bafford horse might be running uh had an excuse I guess you could say in the Breeders Cup Juvenile post 14 uh didn't run very well at all so they are giving him another chance but he this horse Arabian Lion, certainly looks like a, a solid solid favorite
2: it looks like it's going to be Bob all the time. I can only find four horses running in the Los Salle Turity, and three of those are trained by Bob Baffert. Now, bear in mind that Messier was beaten last year by the Doug O'Neill slowdown Andy. So Bob has won, I think, six, seven of the last eight runnings, but was beaten last year. So perhaps there is a chance, but it looks like it's Bob's race to lose, at least for now. And I don't know if we're going to get any surprise entries in there.
0: Well, more news made off track this week was a very surprising decision by the New York Gaming Commission, uh, a clocker by the name of Richie Gazer. A guy's been around the New York racetracks forever, has a great reputation, doesn't play games or, or anything like that. Um, he changed the distance of a workout on a horse. And here's why. they ha- A horse, um, if they run very poorly, they get put on something the equivalent of a stewards list. And in order to get off the stewards list, they need to have a workout of half mile. It just says a half mile. And if they work satisfactorily, they're off the list and they can race again. This particular horse, they gave the workout five furlongs. Now You would think if a half mile workout would suffice, why wouldn't a five furlong workout? Isn't five longer and a better gauge of a horse's fitness than even four? But that's not the rules. So gays are just trying to, you know, make some common sense out of this. Put in the workout officially at four furlongs, so that the horse could get off the, the stewards list uh, and and be able to run. Uh, the New York Gaming Commission came in, led by Chief Steward Braulio Baeza Jr., and through the uh, just you know just went after this guy for this something fiercely. They fined him twenty five hundred dollars and suspended him for thirty days. Now lo and behold, Gazer to his credit said this is ridiculous, and he appealed. He a hearing officer went over the case, and that's, you know, how the, the due process works with racing commissions, and voted to throw everything out. The New York Gaming Commission then turned around and ignored what the hearing officer said and went after this guy again. And it is an absolute fiasco, is an absolute joke. He did nothing wrong other than to apply some common sense. There's no difference between if, you, if the horse worked five furlongs, he also worked four. And in New York, you have a gaming commission that is a, uh, that is out of control. Um, they've been fining people for things left and right. You know, we're all uh, we're all all in favor of you know them being tough and not slapping people on the wrist. But you don't go after people are just trying to do their jobs, did absolutely nothing wrong and suspend and find this guy for what is, again, just, uh, you know, did he technically violate a rule? I suppose. But A, it's a very dumb rule. And B, you just use a modicum of common sense here. There was nothing nefarious involved. He wasn't trying to cheat. He wasn't changing the time of the workout. Good Lord, let the poor guy go back to work. <laughs>
1: I mean, Gazer was quoted as saying this is a joke. I think you added the right word to it, Bill. This is an absolute joke. I mean, this is the kind of thing that causes the undermining of confidence that people have in the sport of horse racing and in the people that are administering the rules in the sport of horse racing. This is just absolutely ridiculous. I've been around clocker stands a lot. I used to help. I used to grab a stopwatch in the mornings and, and help clockers clock horses. And it's very commonplace when a trainer and Zoe will tell you this. When when a trainer works a horse in the morning, he might call the clockers and say, okay, we're going to go. He might tell the gap attendant, all right, we're going to work up uh, five eighths of a mile from the half mile pole past the finish out to the seven eighths pole. Or we may work three quarters of a mile from the half mile pole to the three quarter pole because they want their horses to gallop out past the wire. So the time of the workout continues on past the finish. In this particular case, uh, apparently, the trainer didn't communicate beforehand with the clockers. The horse broke off at the half-mile pole, uh, went a half in fifty-one point three three, then went on out five-eighths of a mile in one hundred four point six zero. The trainer calls up, says, "Did you get so and so going?" "Pappy uh, on Ice" was the name of the horse going five-eighths of a mile, uh, and they said, "Yeah, we got him going five-eighths of a mile." Uh, galloping out five eighths of a mile in one hundred four point six zero, and that's the time that was put down. The trainer then called later, um, and it wasn't—it wasn't actually Gazer that had put the stopwatch on the horse. It was another one of the clockers. Uh, but the trainer called back and said, "I wasn't aware of this rule that says that it has to specifically be a half mile in fifty-three seconds or better." So when I said he galloped out five eighths of a mile, he worked five eighths. Uh, Can we just give him that half mile time that you guys had instead? Makes all the sense in the world. I mean, the horse could have worked six furlongs in a minute ten, and it wouldn't have been good enough, according to the stupid rules that the New York Racing Association has about this. And to suspend a clocker for giving the horse the half mile time that he got at the finish uh, and altering the workout in this particular case is just a travesty.
0: Randy, just one thing. I just want to... um uh, clarify something. You said the New York Racing Association. It was the New York Gaming Commission. The New York okay. Naira had nothing to do with this. Okay, this is the you. New York Gaming Commission that is, you know, playing Keystone Cops here.
2: And I know Richie. Richie's a good friend of mine. XBTV is up there each and every summer, and the clockers help us greatly uh, figuring out horses' names. And basically, what Randy said is exactly what happened. The horse actually worked on the Oklahoma training track. Richie was on the main track. He's the head clocker. Um, The horse was timed the half mile from the pole to the wire. They wanted a five 5-8 time. They reduced it to half a mile. And and it was just simply ridiculous. Richie is one of the most respected clockers. He's been in the game over 40 years. And uh, it's it's an atrocity. It really is. Uh, And it doesn't look like it's going to get righted. It's just a shame for a guy that's been around for as long as he has Forty years on to have this on his record.
1: I don't even know, Richie, and, and, and reading this pissed me off.
0: <laughs> yeah. And the other point too is um, you know, if you're going to have a hearing officer go into this and they, they throw the case out and then you ignore what the hearing officer said, what's the point of even doing this? Um, y- you know, again, it, it just it 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 just it you know, I'm shaking my head just like Randy is. It is a joke. And it's too bad because, you know, I've known Richie Gazer for a long, long time. And Zoe, you're right. He's you know, a guy who goes about his business, has all the integrity in the world, and would never, ever fool around or, you know, alter workouts, playing games and whatnot. But uh, that's what they've charged him with. And uh, don't know if there's another, uh, you know, round he can take it to the courts or something like that. But um, for now, um, he was um, came out the loser this week with the New York Gaming Commission, which, um, you know, just sometimes you need to use a little bit of common sense. And if they had used some common sense here, they would have made the right decision. But they refused to do that. So that's the case.
2: The TDN Rice's Room is brought to you by West Point Thoroughbreds. Joining a West Point Thoroughbreds partnership can vault you into the world of instant camaraderie among people surrounding high-class horses, think flight line, and stakes action for a fraction of the cost of trying to do it on your own. Learn more at westpointtb.com. On Monday, West Point pledged to match all donations up to $5,000 for the Thoroughbred Aftercare Alliance holiday giving campaign. That is the TAA. $5,000 just shows you what a great team West Point is looking to give back each and every time. The TAA is a wonderful Organization. You can learn more about the TAA holiday giving campaign at the thoroughbredaftercare.org holiday campaign. We'll be right back after this message from West Point.
4: All the thrills. Fraction of the bills. Experience the power of the partnership. Change your life make new friends, and compete at the highest level of thoroughbred racing. West Point Thoroughbreds, the gold standard in racing partnerships. Visit westpointtv.com.
2: Backstretch workers are the backbone of the thoroughbred racing industry. Without them, racing would not be possible. The New York Racetrack Chaplaincy provides vital programs and services to all the workers and their families, like sponsor a family, the food pantry, as well as other recreational activities and events. You can help by visiting our website and donating today. Every dollar makes a difference to those who give everything to the sport that we love.
0: And this week's Remy Block cartoon is in; it'll appear in Friday's edition of the Thoroughbred Daily News. And he takes a look at a racing stable as if it were a hotel. And he calls it the Happy Hoofer Racing Stable. And he got a sign out about, you know, there's vacancy, how much a room is, everything. A very clever from remy Belloc. well want to thank you once again for tuning in and watching and listening to the thoroughbred daily news podcast i want to thank this week's guest of the week the green group guest of the week Louis i want to thank randy moss and zoe cabman and well as your adorable dog zoe just so sweet and cute uh anyways and hi lucy how's she doing back there everybody's Uh, she's catching up on on her beauty sleep girl (laughs) As always. All right. So, Randy Moss. Want to thank him. Want to thank Zoe Cabin. Their dogs, etc. Want to uh, thank our producer uh, Patty Wolf. Our associate producer Katie Petroniak. Our editors Anthony Laraca, Leah Laraca, Nathan
3: Wilkinson. Thanks for listening.